Well, today's reading is from Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, but tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. In 19... uh... 54, Thomas Merton wrote a spiritual classic called Elected Silence. And in it, he observed that as a Catholic priest, he had heard less and less people confessing to the sin of covetousness. And he was concerned about this. And he wrote that the worst dangers are the dangers that we stop seeing. And he wondered what the consequences would be. And one consequence, according to Jesus, is an increase in worry. And and here is a problem for us. As we come across teaching in the Bible that rebukes us, uh, rebukes us about uh, the misuse of wealth or the misuse of spirituality or the misuse of sexuality or relationships or power, our reaction is shaped by... um, the democratic, hyper-individualist world 
we live in, where you know the consumer is always right, where the reader's perspective is the perspective that really matters. And if we think God's word dares to rebuke us uh, or restrict who we may want to be, then we set it aside. We set it aside as outdated or as wrong or as irrelevant. And we miss the point when we do that. The rebukes in the Bible are there as warnings. They're like the signs that you see decorating all the beaches in northern Queensland, saying that basically if you jump into this water, you're putting yourself in danger. So Jesus, in his teaching today, is saying simply, there is enough to be anxious about in this world, in life, without having to add to it the idea that it is our work, uh, what we produce, what we consume, uh, what we earn, is the whole point of our existence. That somehow we hold our lives and sustain them and justify them by this continual work of storing up treasures on earth. Now, what Jesus says is that our lives, human life, is much more significant than that and that we are worth much more than that. And every day, every day we rely upon the gifts and the grace of God far more deeply than we recognize. So in chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do not store up wealth for yourselves, store up treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And, and, and the word there for storing up, the word is a, a present work, an ongoing, continual effort for treasures, not, not just necessities. Illustrations that Jesus used imply that what the nations are so anxiously busy with is heaping up their standard of living above the necessities needed to keep us alive. And he says that that anxiety, that principle, if that anxiety, if that principle is the light of our lives, if that's our guide for life, then that's a pretty dark light to be living by. If that's what our hearts are set upon, if that's what our, our core purpose is, is that's where our treasure is, then we've set ourselves up for disappointment and anxiety. Now, I guess another response that our culture can make when we read things in the Bible that we do not appreciate is instead of just ignoring it, we mock it by exaggeration. Now, I've heard people say about this passage, Jesus wants us to give up our possessions, to take a vow of poverty. To, he's promoting some sort of unrealistic hippie dreaming about flowers of the field and birds of the air. And Come on, life's not like that. We've got to protect ourselves. And God helps those who help themselves. Amen. There's a theology of justification through works, isn't it? But that's not actually what Jesus is saying. First, our heavenly Father knows that we need to eat, drink, be clothed, and, and all the rest. God made the physical world. He knows how it works, and all these things will be given to you as well, says Jesus. 
And second, Jesus is realistic about the troubles of this life. Each day will have enough troubles of its own, he says. So what is he saying about wealth and about economics and about work and the heart of our vision for life and our worries? Three things. Those who follow me will have a greater wealth than the nations. Those who follow me will have a greater master than the nations. And those who follow me will have a greater joy than the nations. A greater wealth, a greater master, a greater joy. So do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. This constant, ongoing, restless gathering, who's it for? Yourselves, says Jesus. Well, to put that another way, these things we strive for above our necessities become what defines us. Become become not only our value, but also our identity. We we get defined by the things that we possess. The things we possess begin to possess us, in other words. What we own is who we are. And Jesus is saying that's kind of risky ground to be walking over because your garments wear out, they get damaged, they become unfashionable, they become unwearable, thieves steal, technology changes, obsolescence creeps closer, possessions are destroyed by uh, neglect, markets are very nervous creatures, Uh, there's inflation, uh, there's debt, there's fiscal and taxation laws changing all the time. And, and we may, we may negotiate those things wisely. We may manage our resources wisely or not. In fact, we know from our, our series on Proverbs that the Bible encourages us to be wise stewards of our wealth. But if that is the sum of all we are, if that is who we are, if that is our light, if that's our guide for living, if the economic tool has become the master, then that's the normal anxious state of the nations of the world, says Jesus. Jesus says there's a better investment, and in our hearts, I think every living, breathing, thinking person knows this, that we are more than what we own and more than what we owe. He says there's treasures in heaven. Not the heavens. When you see the word heavens in the Bible, it normally means the physical atmosphere and the space beyond. But when you see the phrase in heaven, it means within the presence of God who lives apart from his creation. Now, what does that look like? What are we investing in? Now, at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus talked about those who were poor in spirit. He talked about those who were persecuted for righteousness' sake, that, that, that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he used the present tense. He said, in other words, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven now. They have it now. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, that they have the kingdom of heaven now. So at some level, we are able to enter the kingdom of heaven now and experience it now, even as we wait for it to be fully seen when Christ returns at that final Christmas. So what are the signs of the kingdom of heaven amongst us now? 
What do the treasures Jesus asked us to invest in look like? Well, as, as we read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he describes the character of a disciple and the effect of that character's of that disciple's character. So uh, going back, back to his, the beginning of his sermon, he says, you, you'll see things like people who bring their longings to God, people who uh, stand meek before God, people who hunger and thirst uh, for holiness, but with mercy, people who have a focus in heart for seeking God, people who bear with persecution for doing right. Well, their effect is to be salt, preservative in this world, and their effect is to be light, a a guide in this world. And these are the treasures. These are the things that are being laid up now in this life that will also stand for the life to come. This is the wealth that Jesus wants us to invest in, lives changed by the grace of God, growing lives. And we know that, don't we? We, we? we already know that. We know that we can be poor and miserable and discontent and resentful and anxious and you know, constantly looking for the angle and the deal and even the cheat that gets us just a little bit ahead. And the irony is we can be wealthy and exactly the same. But Jesus says, why live like that? Why live with that kind of poverty of spirit? Why have that spirit of anxiety at all? Because there's a greater wealth to pursue and there is a greater master. Verse uh, 24, chapter 6, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Master. (laughs) That's not an employer. Uh, There's no escaping the power of a master uh, over us. And it's this constant gathering of stuff. If If that is our master... If there's no room for an other, then it owns us entirely, you see. And it's true. Wealth does bring us a measure of freedom, doesn't it? But if the pursuit of wealth is our master, if it's the guide to our decisions, the meaning of our existence, the core principle of our lives, are we free to be simply human? But Jesus says there is another master And it'd be wise to see who he is, what his character is, and what are the benefits that he offers to us. And that's why we've got records in the Gospels of Jesus' life, because here's what God's like. We see it in his Son. He gives us a kingdom. He he gives rather than takes life. He pays rather than requires debt. He's a very different sort of master. He has a yoke. Yes, he is a master. He is Lord, but Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 that his yoke is easy and his burden is light in comparison to the other masters who wait to control our lives with worry. So we have a greater wealth and we have a greater master. And finally, a greater joy. Verse 25. 
I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry about saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble for its own. Now, I once had a psychology lecturer quote this passage in the middle of a lecture at the university. And he finished the reading and just said, look, this is is hippie idealism. But it isn't. It's actually more than that. It's a question. And the question is, can you really hold your own life in your hands? Do we create our lives? Do we save them? Can we sustain them? At what point does our anxious storing up become a kind of tragic comedy for somebody else watching us? And when we read this carefully, we, we read, the birds of the air work, okay? Watch the magpies on the lawn out here. They're at work. But God is still feeding them through their work, through their labor. God is sustaining them, and so us. The flowers of the field. Now I reckon some of the most beautiful things I have ever seen have been through the lens of a microscope. The intricate structures that God weaves into fields just to throw them away at the end of a hot day is incredible. And we're of much more value than that. We have much more beauty than that. We are his image, and if we have entrusted ourselves to him in Jesus, we are his people. Now, Jesus means he's teaching here to be practical. So to deal with the worries of each day, to deal with our anxieties, Jesus gives us something practical to be busy with. Seek first in what we do the kingdom of heaven its values, its priorities, its ethic, its truth, its future. And his rightness, his, his holiness for our life, for our hearts, for our thoughts, for our hands. And he, God, our Father, will give us our needs. And, but notice this, notice this, this is so important. He gives it one day at a time. Did you see that? He gives it one day 
at a time. There's realism in Jesus' words. He acknowledges each day has its troubles. And God gives us the grace we need for the troubles of the day now. That's how it rolls. Now, our anxiety, of course, in our anxiety, we say, actually, we'd like all the future grace right now, thank you. We kind of want to anxiously store up grace and hoard it the same way we want to hoard wealth and other stuff. (laughs) But Jesus says we've been given the grace we need to live today. And there's joy in that. And there's rest in that, in seeing this need met today. And that is how we quietly and joyfully, despite the troubles of each day, live in the kingdom of heaven now. Now I know, we are facing uncertain days ahead, aren't we? Plans are shifting quickly, uh, some are weary with the many things that had to be rethought, reinvented. And I know, we need to earn a living We need to provide. We need to be provided for. Uh, We've got responsibilities. We've got goals. We just desire better things. And the nations seek all these things with this constant restless gathering, says Jesus. And God knows that we need them. He's already got the memo. He knows that. And God knows that our days are troubled But he gives us a greater wealth in seeking first his kingdom. He gives us a greater master in taking on the yoke of Jesus Christ. And he gives us a greater joy in relying on his grace today, now. Now, if this year has made anything clear, it's that we don't hold our lives ourselves. So there's some relief In Jesus' teaching, this teaching of grace and not works, is we don't need to. Our good Father holds our lives and he holds them into eternity. Amen.